0: Uh, I've had the privilege uh, as a pastor of officiating uh, over 30 weddings. And, and uh, I can proudly say that by God's grace, I, I haven't screwed one up yet. Uh, so some of you young people out there, you might be my shot. Uh, but <laughs> uh, at my, my own wedding uh, nearly uh, 18 years ago, which I, I can uh, definitely say, thank God for this woman. <laughs> Amen. Um, 18 years ago, though. And uh, the, the closest thing to a wedding blooper that we had was uh, my, my best man, which best man toasts. They, they, you, you always get a little scared uh, when you're at a wedding and uh, and something like that. But uh, my my best man made a great, great, great to, uh, uh, just toast. And then until he raised up the glass and, and he said to to Amy and Andy Joe. And, and he didn't even realize what he was saying, and then he turned bright red, and uh, well, of course, my name isn't Andy Joe, it's just Andy, uh, I'm a senior pastor here at Troy United Methodist Church, and I'm so glad that, uh, that you're here today uh, on this, uh, this uh, Mother's Day, especially if you're visiting uh, or Or here for the first time. We're just really glad that uh, you've uh, chosen to worship with us today. And I pray it is a joy-filled and encouraging day for everyone. Uh, Now, we show those wedding bloopers uh, because something very similar happened at uh, a wedding that Jesus attended uh, near the beginning of his ministry. And I'm going to read that passage to you from uh, the book of John. It's uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. There were six stone jars, water jars, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine, he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, you might hear that short passage and wonder, all right, pastor, I didn't see the blooper where where was the blooper and it's right here at the beginning of verse 3 when the wine gave out You know, weddings in Jesus day they were grand regional events they, they were an occasion of great joy and merrymaking and get to say they, they lasted not just for an afternoon or an evening they lasted an entire week it was a celebration that that everybody was invited to um, and, and but and the feasting, the great, there was great feasting, and yes, a lot of wine. At least there was supposed to be a lot of wine. But in this particular case, a wedding faux pas took place. The wine ran out. And in Jewish antiquity, the wine was the party. In fact, there are many old rabbinic sayings from Jesus' time and there were some rabbinic sayings, uh, one went like this, the wine is the joy of the feast. If there was no wine, or the wine was of poor quality, then that reflected very poorly on the groom and on the groom's family. And in their culture, that was more than a mere blooper. That would have been a disaster. This week, uh, a member of, uh, of the church who has recently been to Israel actually gave me this, uh, this, this uh, bottle of, of wine uh, from Cana of Galilee. It's a Cana wedding wine, and I thought I just wanted to show this off and let you know that, that I'm going to be having a party later. Uh, a little, uh, little extra wine for Mother's Day uh, to share. won't go far, but it's better than nothing. They had nothing. They had completely run out of wine, which was bad news for everyone. It had the, the makings of a social disaster. And here is Jesus. Uh, with his his very first followers before he was really before he was anything to everyone uh, before he was in the public eye and and his mother was also there at the wedding and she approaches him with the problem doesn't she she says they jesus jesus they, they ran out of wine the very clear implication being hey can you do something about this? Which, if you think about it, is a really odd request unless she herself thought that maybe Jesus could do something about this. Uh, I I believe Mary is already very clear uh, at this point uh, about the identity of her son, uh, even before he was famous to others. And Jesus' response uh, is very curious. Um, And this is Kind of the, the passage I want to, the script, the verse that I want to focus on today. Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Now, at first glance, we, we might read this and, and maybe interpret it, um, maybe something along this line. Hey, maybe Jesus is saying, look, look, my, my, the time for my miracle has not yet come. This is not the place uh, for my very first miracle, um, I'm not, it, it's not yet the right time for me to kind of go public and reveal to everybody who it is that I am. But if that was the case, if that was what Jesus was saying, then why would he go ahead and follow through with the miracle and, and make himself known to everybody and have people start believing in him? Uh, and, and really, what is up with Jesus calling his mother woman? All oh, the audacity. And on Mother's Day, doesn't he know? Well, well, let's, let's take a few moments just to t- take a look at both of these. And, and I encourage you, uh, uh, flip, uh, you know, take that piece of paper that was in, uh, in your bulletin when you came in, the, the message notes. I encourage you, follow along. Um, you might want to reflect on this later. But first, what, what does Jesus mean by his response? My hour has not yet come. I want to briefly answer this question and then, and then really what I really want to share is the significance with you, the significance of what he's saying. Uh, when, when you look at the rest of the book of John, which uh, uh, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he's the one who, who uh, recounted uh, the, this, the, this, these stories of Jesus' life uh, after the fact. He went back and wrote this with a very clear intention. He, he wrote this. When you look at the rest of the book of John, uh, there are a handful of times, at least half a dozen times, where Jesus refers to um, his time or his hour. And, and each time when he's uh, mentioning this, uh, really he's referring to his eventual suffering and death on the cross. Now, now, why might Jesus be talking about, this seems a little odd that he'd be talking about his event, eventual suffering um, at, at a wedding, uh, and really before he's done anything. Uh, this is right at the beginning, but if you think about it, John, the writer here, sees this event. Kind of Jesus coming out party as the Son of God sees this event as as the beginning of his ministry and and is painting a picture, is foreshadowing uh, Jesus' ultimate purpose, what what Jesus had really come to do. He's painting a picture. And I want you to kind of imagine this picture in your mind. Imagine a painting. And in, in the foreground, uh, right up front, what you can see on the surface, what's right there in your face, is, is this situation where the wine has run out. It's run out at, the, at this wedding. It is a potentially devastating social situation. The joy uh, of this beautiful occasion is being undermined. And Jesus steps in, he performs a miracle, and he saves the day. Now, in the background of this painting, What isn't as obvious up front? The background of this painting is a similar story. Sin and and death and pain and and grief, they they own the final say in people's lives. The, The joy, even of a beautiful wedding, is tempered. It's limited. It's not complete. Everything, everything good about this life is undermined by the eventuality of death. Sin and injustice, they they taint everything that is good. And and we get a foreshadowing, a taste, that Jesus will perform another miracle, the the miracle of miracles, in his hour, at his time, through his death and his resurrection, saving the day. This story, I I love this story. It's a microcosm of the gospel message. The the good news that Jesus came to offer each and every one of us. And and, and, and I know, I I mean, just in case you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, pastor, pastors, they're reading the Bible. They're seeing stuff all over the place. They're just, they're they're reading into this. Maybe you're thinking, I don't really think that that's there. Uh, If that's the case, let me me convince you a little bit more. Let's look at the way Jesus performed this miracle. Just let's look at this, verses six and seven. This is great. Uh, I'm gonna convince you, I know it. Uh, Verses six and seven, listen to this. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. Now now these jars were huge. I was thinking we could maybe bring some in but they're just way too heavy. Like think of like a big trash can. Like 20 or 30 gallons, big, big ceramic clay pot jars. And there were several of them. And, and they, they were used uh, for, as the scriptures say, the Jewish rites of purification. Now, now the, the Jewish people, they, they understood uh, through their, their heritage and their relationship with God, they understood their impurity, they understood their brokenness, their, their, um, uh, their sin. And they would routinely have these cleansing rituals, um, usually on high occasions, uh, things maybe even like a wedding or a worship service, things where they would gather together uh, where God was kind of the centerpiece. They would have these purification rituals where really they just kind of ladle out some water and pour it over people's hands. Uh, Or or sometimes maybe tip the, the jug over and just pour it out on people's hands. Not so much to actually clean their hands, as much as to ceremonially uh, kind of indicate that that God is cleansing their impurity, so when Jesus I love this when Jesus says to use those jars it 's even more foreshadowing of what is to come he 's saying, his, he's saying uh, his ultimate miracle the the one that he came for not to turn water into wine, but the the miracle the back the the, the the background of this painting that John picture uh, that John is painting, uh, the one that he came for, that will wash people completely of their sin. It won't just be a ceremonial symbol. Jesus will cleanse his followers entirely. That, that, that's what's going behind, going on behind the scenes of this story about turning water into wine at a wedding. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about his hour. That is to come. But what about Jesus calling his mother woman? Aren't you curious about that? What's going on with that? Well, first off, uh, there's really not a whole lot to it. Uh, It's important to note that in the biblical accounts of Jesus' life, there isn't a single instance where Jesus calls his mother mother or mom or or even Mary. Mary. There are only a couple instances in Scripture where, where he actually addresses her directly, and each time he calls her woman. And I wouldn't advise this, guys, if you're talking to your wife or you're calling your mom up later tonight if you have the opportunity. Uh, don't, don't try this. But, uh, but it doesn't appear in this instance to be a disrespectful uh, address. A- at least Mary doesn't seem to take it disrespectfully. But it's pretty clear that that this address is is lacking some intimacy, too. It's almost as if Jesus is speaking to her as if she were a stranger and and not his mother. And although Mary doesn't appear to feel disrespected by her son's lack of familiarity, I, I can't help but think that this is maybe a difficult transition for her. This is her firstborn son. You know the, the the fruit of her womb, that this gift that that God gave to her, miracle from God, and, and now he was grown up, and he was no longer hers. He he was about to be, really to be thrust into the public eye, and and that closeness, that intimacy that that I can only presume uh, that they experienced together as a as a mother does with her son. That's a part of the past now. Moms, this is a transition that you will go through if you haven't already. You saw I mean, the, the, how cute the kids were up here singing. I mean, what was that? That, <laughs> that thing what, that was out there? Uh, what <laughs> was there? Are there bugs already? Uh, but you saw how cute they were. You saw in the video, you just put a kid in a rocking chair and it's cute. Uh, uh, but you, I mean, you, they're so cuddly, but they're soon going to grow up to be teenagers, right? And they're, they're not going to be quite as cuddly then, and at some point in the future, if it hasn't come already, your little one will cease to be little and will become an adult. And every step of the way, moms, you know this, every step of the way will require letting go and grieving and Trusting God with your child. I think if we read between the lines just a little bit, we see what well, we see a little bit of that transition going on with Mary in this passage. Her, her son is no longer hers. She, she has to let him go and, and to trust him into God's hands, the one who gave her this gift to begin with. And you can imagine how much more difficult it would be for her if she were seeing all the parallels that, that John, the writer of this, who after the fact is putting it all together, um, you, you can imagine how difficult that would be for her if she saw what was eventually to come. If she knew about Jesus' hour and the suffering that he would have to endure, uh, uh, that would be even more difficult to let him go and to trust God. And yet, and yet that is the call of every Christian mother to raise your child to know and to love God and eventually to let them go and trusting them into God's hands. In fact, if you see that as your purpose, then it very well may change the way that you go about raising your kids in the first place, to train them up and to help them uh, begin to no longer depend on you. Moms and dads, that, that is your charge. But moms, I, I tend to think that that letting go part uh, may be a little more difficult for you. It's, it's the motherly instinct to cling to and, and gather in and, and protect, isn't it? It is. Uh, Yet yeah, your call is to let them go. Now, I hope you can see uh, that this doesn't just apply to moms and dads and their kids. This this applies to everything that we cling to, everything that brings our lives meaning and joy. This applies to all those things that we hold dear. Uh, Our hopes and our dreams, our, uh, our aspirations, our relationships, those good things in our lives. When we cling just too tightly to them, when we find our sense of meaning and we derive our ultimate joy from those things, we are bound to run into disaster because eventually the wine is going to run out. Eventually sin or pain or, or ultimately death will undermine all of those good things. Some of you have already experienced that. And so far on Mother's Day, we've, we've shown videos of, of cute kids reflecting on, on the joy of, of being in relationship with their mother. We've also watched some, some hilarious wedding bloopers. And you, you might be here thinking, I, I would give anything to have my mother back. Or, or to be a parent yourself. And yet that hope has not been realized in your life. You might think, yeah, it would stink to have my wedding be on a blooper reel. But I'd take that if it actually meant having a wedding. Some of you, um, it's your singleness that is a constant reminder of, of that shattered dream. Uh, or, or maybe you have the memories of a beautiful, beautiful wedding day, but it is tainted with the reality that the marriage ended in divorce or, or in the death of your spouse. And that loneliness and sadness now accompanies those memories. H- hear this. In, in the midst of your realized pain, or, or, or the pain that, that is yet to come as, as you get ready to let go of your kids or you say goodbye to your mother for for the last time, or you endure some other pain or tragedy or hardship in this life, in the midst of that pain, the message of this story is that there is good news. You you see, when Jesus gave this very awkward response to his mom, his his eventual suffering and his eventual death, those things were on his mind, but but I believe that something else was on his mind too. I, I believe that his eventual wedding was on his mind. Wait a second, Pastor. What did you just say? Uh, Je- Jesus wasn't married, unless you're believing a lot of that weird stuff that's out there uh, at times. Uh, what, what wedding are you referring to? Well, the Old Testament uh, of the scriptures uh, tells us, uh, shows us that the prophets for hundred, hundreds of years would, would share these messages with the people of God. And, and the messages made it clear that, that God. God wasn't just interested in being, uh, having this king to subject relationship. God wasn't just interested in ruling over us. That God, God wasn't just interested in, in, in being a shepherd to some mindless sheep. Uh, God wasn't even merely wanting to refer to himself as just a a father to children. We're told again and again and again in the Old Testament that God wants to relate to us as his people as a husband does to his wife. He wants to know us and to love us and and to uh, unite with us as profoundly as a husband does with his wife. Therefore, all throughout the Old Testament, God is continually characterized as a bridegroom. Uh, uh, The bridegroom of of his people who give themselves to him as as a wife gives herself to her husband. In fact, in the very next chapter, uh, the the third uh, chapter in the book of John, we, we see how John the Baptist actually refers to Jesus as the bridegroom. And he's not upset when people start leaving him and don't want to be baptized by him anymore and want to go and be baptized by Jesus because John recognizes that Jesus is the bridegroom and John himself, he's just, he's just the friend of the bridegroom. And if you were here last week, then you remember that we read in the, in the book of Revelation at the very end, the last book of the Bible, that the same writer, John, is writing about the vision that he sees. And he says this, he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as, do you remember? Prepared as a bride. Beautifully dressed for her husband. The scripture goes on and says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Friends, don't miss this. You see, the wine has run out at the wedding. The the joy of this life is limited. It is fleeting. It is continually undermined by by sin and pain and death. But Jesus, the bridegroom, through his ultimate miracle, not, not the miracle of turning water into wine, but his ultimate miracle of purifying us by his death on the cross and his resurrection presents us as his bride at an eternal wedding feast. And at that feast, no matter what pain or suffering or broken dreams or injustice or heartache that, that has been done to you or, or, or goodness that, that you've done to yourself or maybe even done to others, no matter what, at that feast, the wine, wine will never run out. And knowing that, setting your eyes and your heart on that future, I believe can give you the confidence to let go and to trust God with the most important things in your life now. Your hopes and your dreams, the, the well-being of your beautiful kids and you've got some beautiful kids. Your other loved ones. Everything else that you cling to and that you just, you hold dear. You can trust God with what you love most because, because our God knows what it means to let go and the pain associated with it. Letting go of his one and only son so that we might all be invited to that eternal wedding feast ourselves where the wine will never run out. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I want to thank you for for this Mother's Day. Where we once again hear your call to let go and to trust you with the most important things in our lives. Those things that make our lives worth living. But if we're honest are underscored with a sense of grief as we know that they will end. In fact some of us here have already experienced the pain of those good things coming to an end. But Father, thank you for letting go of your only son, Jesus. So that we can look forward to a day when when the wine will never run out. When we no longer have to fear that the joy will end in pain and loss. Lord, would you give us the courage to trust you again today. As we fix our eyes on that day when we will join in the eternal wedding feast with you, our bridegroom where every tear will be wiped away and every joy that we experience in this life will not only not end, but will be amplified forever and ever because of Jesus' never-ending love for us. We pray it all in his name.